possibilities. You know, when I started the podcast, I really wanted to talk to community leaders who were really making a difference, not just talking about the work, but doing the work. And Angela Mastin is just that kind of community leader. She is passionate. She's a dedicated community leader. She is a mom with a mission. Born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, she has a deep love for her community and her family. From organizing cleanup drives, community gardens, to working to engage families in a way that celebrates diversity and promotes inclusivity, Angela is all about it. She founded her own business, Rose Dove Consulting. She is a speaker. She is a nonprofit leader. Like I said, she's she's a mom with a mission. She really does exemplify the qualities of a true community change maker. I know you are going to be inspired by this conversation. It's just the boost we need at the end of the year. So enjoy my conversation with Angela Mastin, everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. Hi, Angela Mastin. Thanks for joining the show. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm super excited to have you here. I heard you at uh, AEA, and we're going to talk about that presentation in, in a minute. And for people who are going, well, what is AEA? That's the American Evaluation Association Conference. We just had our conference in, in Indianapolis in October, and I uh, went to your presentation Saturday morning, and um, I told someone on your panel, I bumped into him in the lobby, and I'm like, Okay, that was the best panel I saw. Yes, yeah. thank it, you. It was the last one I got to see before I had to hustle to the airport. And, the, you know, it's like, oh, should I go? Should I not go? I want to, I really want to go. And I'm so glad I did. Well, tell people what time it was in the morning. That's uh, why you had to think about it. Uh, no, no, no. Well, I'm up <laughs> at the crack of dawn anyway. If I remember right, it was 8 a.m. maybe? Yes, it was 8 a.m. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. prime spot. 8 a.m. on it a was the Saturday. Yeah. But it was amazing. So uh, before people wonder, what the heck are they talking about? I want to like <laughs> hush for a second and just let you introduce yourself. Who are you? And what? how did you come to be who you are? Wow. Um, that's a heavy question because, you know, it's really hard to talk about yourself sometimes. But yes, it is. You know, like you said, my name is Angela Mazin, and I am from Louisville, Kentucky. So not Louisville, not Louisville, but Louisville for all those people out there Louisville. that say it wrong. Louisville. Okay, Louisville. Yes. Um, we're pretty much known for the derby, you know, the horse racing. And so I've been here pretty much all of my life. Um, I left Louisville for about five years to attend um college at Western Kentucky University, so in Bowling Green. So that's the only time I've really been out of Louisville was to, to do school. Um, I think the most important role about myself right now is that I'm a mom. And the work that you're going to hear me talk about today is really because of that. I've been a mom in different capacities. I've been a mom in school capacities, community capacities, uh, my own children, um, taking kids in uh, when they need it and trying to help uh, create 
uh, some type of stability for them. Um, so I've been a mom in different capacities, and I think that's the reason why um, you're going to learn about why I do the work that I do and why I feel like being a parent is very important and you should have a voice and not be quiet. Um, I think my friends would describe me as a disruptor a little bit. Um, and so I always joke with them, like, if I'm a disruptor, I'm, I'm, I need to make sure you all um, have your money together because I don't know. I need somebody might bail me out if I'm a disruptor. You never know. So I always joke and tell them that I'm on my way out the door to fight the power. And so they're like, wait a minute, I don't have enough money. I said, well, y'all better get some money. You never know what might happen. So, um, and the crazy thing is about me is that I really don't like to be in front of people. Um, and so that's something that a lot of people don't know. It, it makes me nervous. It, it makes me nervous to talk in front of people. It makes me nervous to do a lot of those things. Um, but the roles that I'm in, I find myself um, really doing that. And I think that is probably just the purpose that God has put me on this earth to do, even though I'm nervous about it all the time. He uh, gave me that gift of voice to be able to talk and um, fight for people that don't want to do that at all or don't feel like they can. And so I'm that person. Um, I think that's a little bit about me. Um, you know, I, I just think that um, the most important role I have right now in my life is me being a parent, me yeah. being a mom and, and being a single mom at that. So that's a, just a whole nother different type of mm -hmm. a thing. I've always been a single mom. Um, I've never really had a partner in my life to help navigate um, how to raise a black boy at that. And mm -hmm. so um, that also brings the reasons why I do what I do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, I, th I think we probably chatted for a good, you know, five or 10 minutes before I even press record on just, being a mom and being a mom, you know, in this, this COVID generation that is happening. And, and I agree. I think that's, that's our number. That's our number one role. We want to make this a better place, this world, a better place for our kids. Yeah, for sure. It's funny when you say that, um, you don't like to speak in front of people because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about your session in a minute. But I felt like I felt like I'd been to church. Like, oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it was awesome. But all right, so let's let's talk about like all your roles, and then we'll we're gonna get into that into that presentation and your advocacy work is so important. Like, so you know, I did my homework. Thank I. I I, I, I'm a little stunned, right? So CEO oh, yeah. founder of Rose Dove Consulting, VP of the yeah. Prophecy Foundation, but and you're also the director of civic engagement at Play Cousins Collective. And in my notes, I said, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know, it and, you're, like and it. you're a mom and you take, yeah. you know, it sounds like you're also uh, a mom and an auntie to all these other like extended children in your life. So let's just break that down. Maybe you could talk about each one of those things or wherever you want to start. Yes. Okay. Yes. It does sound like a lot. And when people say it, I have to take a deep breath. And then sometimes I'm like, wow, that's really me. Like, I can't believe that I am doing all of that. But um, let's talk about Rose Dove Consulting. Um, I started that company in October of 2022, so it's fairly new. Um, I used to work at a um, nonprofit organization for about 10 years, 
And within that organization, I was the director there. And so I had to do organizational things. I had to develop staff, develop programs. And so I knew it was so difficult. And so when I left that position, I started to think like, wow, it, it's hard to, to do all of that and maintain a building. And I had a lot of connections and relationships with other people that were running nonprofit organizations. And the, the thing that they always said was, we just don't have enough time to develop anybody. You know, we got people in these roles to take care of kids and, and do these things, but we just don't have enough time to do this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to do extra. So that's when I was like, oh, well, I think that I should be able to um, create a business for people in organizations that deal with kids to help them organize, to help uh, staff development and program development. And so that's where Rose Dove comes in. I go in, I consult with people, organizations, and just to try to take off that workload and I do it for them. And so that they are still getting everything that they need, right? but I specifically work with organizations that have a lot of behavior challenging children because what happens is they get kicked out of those programs because the staff is not really versed in ha- how to handle challenging behavior. Kids with, with what I call invisible disabilities. Mm-hmm. So I created a whole toolkit and I go out and I teach that toolkit to organizations mm-hmm. and staff so that they can use it and implement it and execute so that those kids can stay in the program and, you know, mm-hmm. and learn the things that they need to learn. So that's what I do with Rose Dove. Um, and then I have a nonprofit called the Prophecy Foundation, and I absolutely love my nonprofit. I'm the co-founder. I was um, the founder. His name is Ricky Calloway, and he was really the inspiration behind it. He has a phenomenal story. He might need to be the next person on on, on your podcast here, but awesome. he has a phenomenal story. Send, and so, send him my way. Yes, I'm going to send. Yes, yes. He, it, it's like I, I can't even. You know how you share someone else's story? It's still just. It's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. But in the gist of it. Um, you know, he made some mistakes in his life and he ended up being in a federal uh, facility for over 16 years. Mm. And while he was in there, he just started thinking like, when I get out of here, I'm not going to have any help. And so the Prophecy Foundation came about around 2019 as a thought. And then I came around in 2020 and he was like, you're, you're the person that was sent to me to execute what my vision is. And so the Prophecy Foundation started out as just having a reentry program. Mm-hmm. And and it was because of him, right? And so when he got out, what what, what does he do? Who does he go to? He needs the resources, the basic needs. But then my love for the youth and my love for families and parents um, came where we added two more pillars, which was the youth prevention Um, Mm -hmm. programs and then the family engagement programs and so we take all of that and we really pride ourselves in making sure that we have wraparound services Mm -hmm. and that what I do with the child I want the parent to to receive that same type of uh, resource and information Mm -hmm. so that's where the Prophecy Foundation came in and then finally um, me being the director of civic engagement for a nonprofit organization called Play Cousins that came about um, because of the work that we did when you um, heard me speak about the storytelling at the um, AEE. 
Um, I was at first doing the listening sessions that Play Cousins were doing about parent voice. Mm -hmm. And um, I just liked everything that Play Cousins were doing, but they did not have a civic engagement department per se. And I was like, oh, we need one of those. We need to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And so they listened. Um, they had what we call call and response. And they listened. They created a position. And I received the position. And so that's how I became the director of civic engagement um, at Play Cousins. Mm -hmm. When you say call and response, you, that 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 uh, resonates with me. That's church language. Call and response yeah. is is yeah. that what you mean? So call and response is a church language for a lot of people, but it's also very culturally for the black culture, mm -hmm. where we call the community calls and the church back then responds mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the need of the community. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if somebody passed away, this is where it happened a lot of the times, where somebody had passed away and the church would call on the community to make food for that family, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so that's where that call and response comes from. It's Play Cousins really, uh, their mission is really to make sure that uh the African-American culture is embedded into all of the programs and workshops mm -hmm. that are happening and that we know where we come from, so that mm -hmm. we know to make sure that we mm -hmm. know where to go. Right. So there's a there's a need and there's a response from the community yes. is what I, I think I, yeah. I hear you. That That's awesome. So when do you sleep? Um, <laughs> uh, I'd probably be asleep right now, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, I, I would say the work is tiring, and that's just mm -hmm. with anything that you do, right? And so, but it's just so, um, I'm so passionate and so invested that I know that self-care is important. Trust me, I do take self-care. Uh, and that was hard concept for me, but um, I also know boundaries are important. And so the art of saying no is important as well. And I teach that as well to, to many people that the work is always going to be here, but we're not going to be as successful in the work if we don't take care of ourselves. So I do sleep every now and then. It might be like two or three hours, but I do get it. Um, but even when I sleep, I'm thinking about things that I need to be doing for the next right. day. Right. Well, there's a there's a lot of hurt in the world. It is. It, it's a lot of hurt. It's, and I don't know um, if I ever will see the change. You know, like mm -hmm. we we're doing all of this, or I'm doing all of this, and I'm helping other people do all of this. But I don't know if I will ever see the change. But mm -hmm. I know that my son sees me, and I'm hoping that if I pass away in this world. I know that he will see what his mom was doing. He'll mm -hmm. see that effect because he'll keep on going and keep trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I saw you at this 8 a.m. presentation at uh, the American Evaluation Association, and you were speaking about the power of parent voice. And it was a panel discussion about a Robert Wood Johnson funded initiative, uh, the Center for uh, Evaluation Innovation was the evaluator, and then um, 
partnering with the ecology of early development, but you were particular speaking of the power of parent voice. And I wonder if you can kind of talk about that, that work a little bit, either you can, and you can, you can start wherever you want. You can talk about maybe your work as a power, power, uh, a parent advocate rather, or maybe that initiative, whichever direction kind of makes sense for you in your head. Yeah, so I'll give a little background for the audience out there about why we were even doing this in okay. the beginning, right? Um, and so at first, um, there was a collaboration with different states that the um, organizations that you mentioned, they did a lot of things with different states. So Kentucky was one of the states and Louisville happened to be um, one of the cities. And so we were uh, Play Cousins Collective. Um, there was a Hispanic organization, Las Acita, I'm probably damaging their name, um, Kentucky Youth Advocates, and Jack B. Nimble mm -hmm. were four organizations that deal with um, families. And at first, they were talking to families about early education, like early intervention. Like, mm -hmm. is there, is it available? Is it not available? What was your experience with it? And so, because each of these organizations dealt with different types of families. So Play Cousins was African-American, La Cita was Hispanic. Mm -hmm. KYA was just an overall kind of organization that we have here that kind of put us together. And then Jack B. Nimble was um, special needs. So all of us dealt with different types of families. So those experiences mm -hmm. were gonna be different. So what they did is they created um, listening sessions and they had these listening sessions over like months and months to try to really understand what was early intervention for people. And so I was on a listening session one time and then I told my experience about my son, um, the lack of early, early intervention that I had. And then uh, <laughs> they liked what I said so much that they asked me to be a, a leader of the rest of the listening session. So I would be facilitating them. So I ended up facilitating the listening sessions and man, wow, it was, it was, it was a lot. Um, we have a lot of work to do in that early intervention. Mm -hmm. There's people out here that do not get that because ironically, the color of their skin or mm -hmm. the, um, Govern because they have government insurance, right? And so that means because you have government insurance, you're not you don't get treated fairly. So these are the stories that families were having. So then when those stories came about, that's when those um, the the organizations came together and developed this data. And what is that's what you heard in the presentation. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's when I knew, I think I've always wanted to be a parent advocate. I think when you become a parent, you're already an advocate for your kids, but it becomes just for your kids, right? And you can either be very quiet or very loud. Um, and so I knew that my son, I had to be a huge advocate and probably speak louder than what I really wanted to mm. because he ended up being diagnosed with autism and severe ADHD. And so because of that, he had several challenges. And then unfortunately, 
he already had a stamp on him because he was a black boy and they mm-hmm. felt like he, the schools that he was in, was he was already very aggressive. They were scared of him and they didn't want him in classrooms. So they like secluded him, uh, made him sit by himself because they didn't know what was going to happen. And at that moment I said, no, there's so many other kids that I found out that were being treated that way. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I had to speak loud about my son and about these other kids because some of these parents did not know. They had no clue what was mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to have my son talk to me about it and say, I, you know, just like a casual conversation, how's school today? He was like, oh, it's fine. Uh, I mean, I sat by myself at lunch today. And I'm like, well, why did you sit by yourself at lunch? Well, the teacher said that, I was getting mad, so she was scared that I was going to do something. So I have to sit by myself. And how old was he, Angela? At that time, he was seven years out. Oh, my goodness. What's that? He's nine now. Is that second grade or something? First or second grade? It's second grade. First, yes, second Mm -hmm. grade. Yes, he was in second grade. So to me, what, I don't know, what possibly can a second grader do that is so scary? uh, Thank you. So scary that he has to sit by himself at lunch. I didn't understand that. So I said, you know, made a, made a voice. And that's when I knew I had to stamp on it that I am going to be a parent advocate for him and for other people that are just like that. When I posted Mm -hmm. on Facebook one day and all of these people just making comments like, Oh yeah, that happened to my son. Oh yeah. That happened to my daughter. Oh, you should hear this inbox is filled of parents. And I'm like, wow. Mm. And I'm like, no one said anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just say, okay. So I knew I had to be a little disruptor mm. and I had to speak. And so I think that's when I became a parent advocate. And I knew that parent voices needed to be ingra- integrated into the community, mm-hmm. the, the regular community, school community, whatever kind of community you think of. We needed to be inside there. We needed to have our communication be heard. We needed to have um, things like that. But I also knew that some people just didn't know how to, how to, I hate to say how to speak. Because mm-hmm. I, I hate to say that. But we needed to improve our communication. We needed to, to, to kind of be taught how to say what we mean, the facts. And not just more or less like venting or the passion about it. Like we want to mm. be passionate, but we also don't want to be where we're just yelling because right. not, nobody's going right. to listen. We want to be passionate and we want to be loud, but we want to have facts and we want to make sure that we're calling them out on things mm. so that they could be like, oh, they're mean business. So let's make those mm. changes. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah that you get the action that your that your child need because I think that is part of the story you told on the the panel. I seem to remember um, you sharing that story and talking about. I think you talked to his physician, if I remember right, about yes. some early intervention uh, that yes. you needed. And and I I have um I ha- I had a friend years ago who's um uh there was like an accident uh, well no 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 it was an accident birth uh, they had uh, her child had a heart defect and had a stroke if i remember right and so he was in early intervention from a very early age 
as soon as 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 soon as possible, right? Of course, you know, he's a white child, right? So when you were telling that story on the panel, I was having a flashback to that little boy who, of course, is now a grown man who got the intervention that he needed. So can you tell a little more about how that how that kind of played out for you? Because that's another example of how your son was overlooked. Yeah, so um, I didn't have, um, I had government insurance. I still do. I mean, I don't know. I, here's another thing I would say. Some people think that having government insurance is like, you don't talk about that. It's insurance, okay? Like, it is, mm -hmm. right? So I had government insurance at that time. Um, I knew something was wrong. Something was kind of challenging because he, he wasn't speaking mm -hmm. quote unquote normally like the rest of the kids. Right. So when I took him to the physician, um, they just kind of said, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, oh, okay. Uh, he'll be okay. But I also was getting treated fairly bad. Like I, they came in, came out. I wasn't really, he wasn't really given a thorough exam. I couldn't have any conversation with the doctor. Um, I remember hearing, and I didn't share this in the in the speech um, that I gave, but I remember hearing outside in the hallways, the nurse would say, "Oh, yeah, they have they have passport, which is a government insurance here. They have passport." And I remember the doctor saying, "Oh, well, let me just go in here and hurry up because they don't even pay for anything." And I was like, wow. And so that wow. that hurt me to the core because I am trying to get services for my son. Right. I'm trying to help him. And right. I don't know how to help him because I no one told me what to do. No one right. told me about resources or anything else like that. Right. The only thing that I ever knew was to go to the doctor. And the doctor is supposed to help you or right. find you a resource, right? So when that doctor walked in, that doctor treated me like I was nothing. Like I was um, a low end, dumb mom, incompetent, um, from the hood because I was a black mom. Um, and I remember him saying, um, well, you know, I'm sure your neighborhood is not the best. What <laughs> the fudge? I was like, well, how do you know that my neighborhood is not the best? And I responded to him. I said, like, how do you know that my neighborhood's not the best? He says, oh, because I can see the zip code. And the zip codes, I know those areas are not the best. And so I said, well, regardless of where I live and what my zip code is, I still need help and my son needs resources. So he replies and says, he's going to be okay. Just have some time. He'll be able to talk. Um, and I said, well, right now he's like being very aggressive and he's like hitting, you know, showing nonverbal skills that could turn into something kind of bad. The doctor says, again, he'll be okay. I mean, just teach him not to hit. That's all you have to do. And he walked out that door and never came back. Mm. And so when that nurse came back in and I said to the nurse, I said, is he coming back? Because we wasn't finished. She didn't give me no prescription. <laughs> he didn't give me no resource. He didn't give me anything. Mm -hmm. She said, no, that's typically what he does. That's how long... Unfortunately, it's because you have passport. I'm just going to be honest. You have passport, so he doesn't treat you. He doesn't treat you kind of people the same as his others. She gave me that sheet. She gave me that sheet, that checkout sheet, and said, "I hope you have a great day." You know, and we know early intervention is so important. 
And it shouldn't matter whether or not you have insurance or what kind of insurance or what color you are. Right. All I wanted to know was like, where could he go to get speech services? How can I get him help? How can I get get Mike help? If I wasn't that mom to like Google or do research, I still would not have known. And I researched, and the reason why I found out where I need to go was because of his daycare. His daycare was like, oh, you should go to First Steps is what it was. Mm-hmm, right. But by then, uh, First Steps only takes you to three years old. Mm-hmm. He was like two and a half. So he only got really six months of services. Mm-hmm. But we were fortunate enough to be able to go to the preschool and still get speech mm-hmm. services and um physical therapy and occupational therapy and Mm -hmm. stuff like that through that. But I should have never left that, had to leave that doctor's office in tears, Mm -hmm. hurting for my son, uh, feeling like I was nothing. That's what I felt Mm -hmm. like. Um, And I already felt that way because Mm -hmm. I had already been through so much previous to have him. I had, had five deaths before. So he was born in 2020, 2014. And in 2013, I had five deaths, deaths back to back. So my grandmother, godmother, my father, my uncle, and my cousin all passed away. And I found out I was pregnant. I was going through a divorce. I was doing a transition. And then to find out that my son is not per se speaking the way he needs to I automatically felt like maybe that was my fault mm. because while I was carrying him I was very depressed and crying and maybe I didn't take care of him the way I needed to when he was born because I was going through PTSD myself you know I was uh, I was had a lot of triggers I didn't really want to be close to him because I was going through so many obstacles mental obstacles like he I'm the reason why he's this and then to go into the doctor's office and he making me like it was like he pretty much confirmed all of my thoughts Mm. so when I walked out I just was devastated I cried probably that entire night Mm. and I almost said I'm just gonna give up and I walked into the day for the next day and I told him what happened and they were like he should have told you to go to first step I said well why did y'all tell me that and I would have never had to go to the doctor they was like, well, I don't know. You know, sometimes you need to go to the doctor to see if they have any other resources. And so it was because of the daycare um, that he got the services mm-hmm. needed. But ju- I just think about, I'm not the only story like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only nope. parent like that. And I'm a single mom, so I didn't have any other support. So what does that look like when there's parents that have multiple kids and they don't get that support? And why does it mean, like you said, why does my insurance, the color of my skin, the gender of my kid have anything to do with what mm-hmm. you're supposed to do? You go to school to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. You go to school to be a doctor for everybody. If you don't want to do that, you don't need to be in a facility that takes that type of insurance or takes those type mm-hmm. of people or have those type of genders. You need to go somewhere it fits you so that you could be the best for them because you are hurting people like us. You're hurting. You're hurting right. people. So 
So it it was very um, it was very tra traumatic and, and triggering. And then when I put that experience again, like on Facebook, to hear it just melted me even more to know that all of these people are experiencing this, mm -hmm. and they shouldn't have to be. Is that the is that what led to you becoming? A parent advocate and really kind oh, of absolutely. getting in touch with your voice. Absolutely. Um, I know that I, I needed to say something about my son and I needed my son to know what advocacy looked like and what standing up for yourself looked like. I don't know if he knows that right now, but I'm hoping that he does as he gets older. But also just having all of those statuses, I knew when, when I asked mm -hmm. the question, why didn't you say anything? And when they say, for what? Why? Nothing's going to change. They're not going to look at me like I'm important. I'm by myself in this. I knew that I was like, no, you got to, we got to, I, I had to base build and, and create those group of people and to have that voice. I knew that that was my calling. It was like, a, you know how, um, what do you call it? Like a ding, like the light mm -hmm. bulb. That was why it was like a ding mm -hmm. to me. It was a ding. Yeah. Most yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you certainly discovered your voice. Even though I really don't like talking in front of people, but yes. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful story. I'm I'm having flashbacks to like way, 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 way back, like in like junior college days, and my first internship was in a uh a a special school for uh, kids right. with disabilities. And that's back when we didn't have the word or maybe people people were starting to think about autism, right? It was a long time ago. And I know right. the, the teacher whose classroom I was in didn't, she just felt like they were, these kids were mentally retarded. There was no such yeah. thing as autism, right? But I remember there was like a black teenage boy and he had been, um, he had been misdiagnosed like his whole entire mm -hmm. life. He, he had here, he had severe hearing loss. And then with that came all sorts of frustration because he couldn't communicate. Right. But he okay. had been, he had been dis, he had been misdiagnosed as retarded. He wasn't retarded. Right. So wow. that's, I mean, this, and then I, then I think about doing like um, focus groups with um, African-American moms and they were talking about how their kids didn't. I mean, this was before COVID, of course, and, and back when, um, you know, we there were books, right? Kids had books. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was like, books. Yeah. Yeah, they, right. they were several months into the uh, school year and their kids didn't have still didn't have books. Oh, yeah. They did not have books. And I'm thinking my very overprivileged, <laughs> my very overprivileged white children, they have had They've had books since before the day the school started, right? And if okay, they yeah. if they didn't, there would be people with pitchforks, right? <laughs> they were gonna get right, but right. But it was all, mind blowing to me. It was it was kind of it was kind of crazy, and it was like you were you were um you were talking about like some people didn't didn't know or they're overwhelmed because they're trying to feed their families and they're trying to do all the things and right. It's There's just like priorities that, unfortunately, like education or 
if their child is not talking right now, that eventually they will, but I don't have any lights on today or mm -hmm. I don't have any food to feed him. And that's more important than me trying to figure out what disability that he has or what mm -hmm. something, you know, whatever. I mean, because there are still black kids out here that are getting misdiagnosed all day yes. long. Right. Um, but it's also because of the not, maybe the lack of knowledge that parents have, and it's not to knock the parents, but it's no. just because, like I said, we just have so much other things to think about that if my son or daughter is functioning in the best way that they can, then I'm just going to let it go, you know, just mm -hmm. let it be and, and we'll take care of it. But I don't want to walk into my house with no lights on, mm -hmm. or I don't want to walk into my house and not have no food for my kids. That's more important. <sighs> So, so you had you had this experience and these experiences that I imagine like continue every day of your life. Yes. And yes, how how did how did you grow from like that and hearing all those stories to kind of where you are today? What what's the what was the trajectory there? Um, it's been very difficult. My um, journey has been up and down, like anything else in the world, right? I've had a lot of struggles. Um, I have a lot of things that have happened, but I think that I know that I can't give up. I know that sounds like, oh, what a cliche kind of answer, but I know that I can't give up because if I do, there's no one to take over to speak yet or to be that advocate yet and we don't have that yet we don't we have people but we don't have people right um and so as as the journey has gone on there have been more and more things that have happened where i'm like okay i'm gonna sit down for a minute i don't need the voice we're good he's he's finally in a school or he's doing good but then something else happens. And I'm like, oh, man, I said, y'all not wanting me to sit down, are you? Mm -hmm. I got to keep going. So from then until now, it has just increased on the level of education that I have brought to myself. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of research. I have done a lot of, um, I've heard a lot of stories. I've been a lot of things. And I think really what makes me different and why I'm where I'm at now is because I am going through the same thing that I am talking out loud. Mm -hmm. I'm not just talking this out loud. I'm not just advocating for this because I think that it needs to be advocated for. I'm advocating because I'm going through the same journey as somebody else. Mm -hmm. These are like these, these things that I'm talking about are from, from my, from my heart, from my passion, from my own journey. And so that makes a huge difference. It makes me stronger now. It makes me fight harder now. Um, it makes me understand that if I gave up back then when I was out of that doctor's office, my son wouldn't be where he's at right now. We wouldn't be striving where we are right now. And I wouldn't be able to help the people that I've helped because I stayed in the dark. Mm -hmm. And so I think about that because I always got to make sure that my light is shining and then I, I think that's what my job is to make sure that these parents that have problems or challenges is that their light is not being dimmed by anybody, mm -hmm. that yeah. it continues to keep being shined. Because if you put us in the dark, we're never going to be able to, to light up what we mm -hmm. need to. Yeah, absolutely. So what does advocacy look like for you? Are you, I, I, are you uh, 
you know, marching on street corners, talking to legislators, you know, working for policy change, educating parents. What does it look like? Yeah, so typically I support, I try to represent the interests of like parents and families that call in response. I um, try to provide resources. I'm definitely in Frankfurt, I'm definitely in the offices and doing policy changing. Um, I've worked with other organizations that work with just policies when it comes to education, maternal health. Um, houselessness, um, food insecurities, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to be that voice between the parents and the institutions or the parents and the policy workers, movers, um, those type of um, things. So mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily on the street like back in the day with my, you know, with the picket sign. I'm not, I'm not doing those things. I'm in the rooms, I'm at the tables now, um, making people listen to what I have to say and taking the stories that I have been encountering and putting those out on those tables like yeah. that. Yeah. Awesome. Being being a voice for maybe some of those parents who can't yes. can't be there. Correct. Yeah. So I work a lot with community coalitions, community-based organizations. And um, some do a better job of engaging community members and parents than others. So I'm curious as to what kind of advice you would give said community-based organizations about engaging parents, families, community members in, in the work, whatever that work looks like. Right, right. Um, so, you know, my nonprofit focuses on family engagement. So we're huge on doing that. So a lot of times I do get that question asked, like, how do you all do it? Like, what are you all doing? And so we kind of focus on um, 10 kind of things of how we try to get families engaged. Um, a few of those things are like creating outreach programs. Um, those programs have to connect with the families and parents for them to come in, right? Um, if it's, you know, about something that has nothing to do with that neighborhood, you're not gonna get any family engagement. Uh, as, as we move forward, offering like educational workshops, such as like family literacy, uh, how to budget your money, those kind of things. Um, just even parenting skills, like support groups, those are those educational workshops that we do. Uh, we have those support groups that we try to function as well. We definitely utilize social media a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I tell um, organizations that it doesn't always have to be an in-person to get mm -hmm. engagement. It could be social media mm -hmm. and using that to leverage your engagement as you do an in-person. So anytime we do an in-person, we're going to do an in-person engagement event, we use social media to leverage that. We get those parents and those families engaged on social media, then they're like, oh, we got to go to this event because that seems cool. But we also do, you know, we're in the world of virtual life, right? And mm -hmm. so we do those virtual things because we know barriers are transportation or childcare, XYZ. So we try to create things that help them. There's no mm -hmm. reason to pop on the screen, right? Um, we do a lot of, you know, we try to tell people to collaborate with people, schools and institutions. Um, the most important one for me is 
uh, listening, mm-hmm. listen and, and take that and use mm-hmm. that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just out here doing whatever you want to do, so I know one's engaging with you because you're not listening to the people. The yeah. people are going to tell you what to do. Um, and then, of course, uh, providing resources is another thing that we say. Um, and then we also talk about cultural diversity. Um, yes, I'm black, but I also know that there's other cultures. So, like, we mm-hmm. need to recognize that mm-hmm. and recognize those and respect those other different types of cultures. So if I don't know anything about being Hispanic, obviously, then I'm going to collaborate and have a partnership with a organization that is um, Hispanic and we will be able to engage Mm -hmm. and have those two type of cultures engaged. So we have African-Americans and Hispanics in this engagement together that maybe never would have done that before if it wasn't for us collaborating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, finally, just telling families that they can advocate for themselves and policies and practice that. If you can encourage them that we're doing this because we're advocating for you all and we want you all to have a voice, we want that to be amplified, come to these engagement things. Mm -hmm. And so we'll have the people there Mm -hmm. that you could talk to to amplify that voice. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the 10 things that we do. Yeah, that's awesome. So what do you what do you think it would look like if we really uh, engaged and elevated that parent voice? What would what, how would how would our communities be different? Well, we would have empowerment. I think our community would gain that empowerment. We would learn how to become one work together. I mean, community has unity in the word for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? And so that would be where we're not in our silos, we're together. I think it would also create um, inclusive decision-making. That's important because people don't think that their voices are being heard and their decisions are being made Mm -hmm. because of what they're saying. Um, So I think that would influence a lot of things and initiate the impact for families. Um, It also would create collaboration and and shared responsibility. And I just imagine it being like, (laughs) I cannot think of that um, show that my dad used to watch, but it was Andy Griffin. What was it? Um, Is it Mulberry? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, Now you're talking my generation, so I should definitely know that. So Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think it's Mulberry. I I I think that was the town. Um, Yeah, so it'll come come to me. I know what you're talking about. I think about that town, and when I was little and I saw it on TV, everybody just looked so happy, and everybody just looked like they liked each other. And the community was a small community, but there was responsibility. You knew that you could go here. You knew that you could get help here. I mean, even the jail wasn't even really that bad, right? Um, it just—it <laughs> was just like, and that's what I like dream of if people would just listen to us parents. No one knows better than what we need mm-hmm. for our kids, ourselves, right. and the community but the people that live it and are it. Yes. So I just, like, I imagine it being like that, or even like 
cheers. Everybody knows your name and they mm-hmm. just always come in and they're just always so just happy about right. being with each other. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine what that day would have been like if the doctor had come in and said, your your instinct as a mother is right and I'm going to help you. I don't think I would be where I'm at. So there's the blessing, I guess. It was a blessing. Um, side note, I did go back to that doctor. Oh, oh you got yeah, you got to tell me, how did that conversation okay. go? So because I felt very inspired, <laughs> I went back to that doctor specifically and asked for that doctor. And I told that doctor, one, that I thanked him for treating me like a piece of crap. What? And... <laughs> Um, I, I asked him, I said, I don't know if you went home that day or you, I don't know if you still go home every night and get to get a good sleep because I'm pretty sure you still treat people like a piece of crap. And I don't know how that makes you feel when you walk out of these doors, but just to know that my little black boy that you said was whatever, or that I'm incompetent. I just want you to know that I'm not incompetent. I've actually um, held this many awards. I've done this. I've done that. I printed out like um, a sheet that had all of my accolades and things that I've done in the community. And I gave him that. And I said, I just want you to remember my name because I'm coming for you as soon as I can. I promise you I will. And I'm going to make sure that no one ever comes to you again. Whoa. Now that I have my voice. And he was like, well, I don't remember that. I was like, well, just remember that you gave the wrong mom a voice because if mm-hmm. you did not treat me like this, I probably would not right. have been like this. So right. I do thank you for that. I just mm-hmm. think that it sucks that mm-hmm. you feel the need to treat people like that. Mm-hmm. And so I had to tell him about how he treated me and I had to tell him that just because I had passport and I was a black mom and I said, you don't remember the zip code? The zip code comment? And he was like, oh, I do. And I said, why do you uh, remember that zip code comment? And he says, because I've said it before to people. Um, and he said, I've never had a mom come back to me and tell me that I treated her like crap. I said, well, this mom did. And I'm going to find out how many other moms mm-hmm. you have done that to. Mm-hmm. And that the ironic thing about it was the same nurse that told me to leave, she was there. And she gave me a hug when I walked out that door. And I was like, I said, well, I had to take a pause because I really wanted to say something to her too, because I felt like, well, why did you say something? And she was like, because I needed my job, but you don't know how many times I go home crying because he treats people like crap. And I have to witness that. Mm. And I, he, she was like, I'm so glad you came back and said something to him. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it just makes me feel like I need to go. And I was like, that's your voice. Your voice is you don't have to work with that doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say anything, but you can transfer and not work with that doctor anymore. That's your voice. And she was like, I just appreciate that you came back and told him that. Yeah, that took so much. That took so much guts. And says a it lot. Did. Of... I was nervous. I thought wow. they'd go kick me in. Yeah. <laughs> God, good for, good for you. Wow. And I want to, I I want to go back and tell you, Angela, when I said it's a blessing, I didn't mean that that experience was a blessing, but there was a 
there was a purpose and a blessing in yeah. that for you yeah. not not to discount yeah. not to discount the racism behind that or or about yeah. that or the hurt that you experienced but that yeah. that you use that to be who you were called to be yes well i think that um i'm a true believer of god and so i think god made those experiences happen because he knew what he was he knew who i was supposed to be mm-hmm. and so he was taking me on this journey um and if it wasn't if, if it wasn't for that that situation i think he had a few more situations as i've experienced that he knew that one of these situations that as i was going through a journey of life that i was going to uh have that click to say mm-hmm. that my um my light needs to go and he knew he knew that it just happened to be the very first couple of times so i don't know if he i don't know if god knew that it was going to hit that quick but (laughs) um, (laughs) but it did and i've been slowly going right um slowly amplifying my voice as i've become older and going through the journey Mm -hmm. i haven't always been like this so it's been a slow journey of amplifying my voice. Well, I got to ask you the question I ask everybody before I let you go, Angela. When you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? Hmm. Um, I'm going to continue to do this work, but I think this time as I navigate um, what's next is that I give this power of voice and power of storytelling to other parents. I think that's my next journey is to continue to do the work and advocate, but share and teach others how to do that um, so that they're never in the same position as I am and not feel like they can speak. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's next for me and and for the community is for me to to teach that to, to people the power of Mm -hmm. storytelling for parents and the amplifying their voices. Mm -hmm. So Angela, if people listen to this and they, um, they like what they hear and they want to hear more about you and from you, how do they get in touch with you? So I'm definitely on all social media platforms. Um, So just look me up as Angela Madsen. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Angela Madsen. Those are the two that I really, um, I'm on the most. You can look me up on TikTok as Angela Madsen too, but you'll see most of my son on that TikTok. So if you want to see how he is and how funny he is, you can see that. But yes, I am on all of those social media mm-hmm. platforms. Yeah. And I think you have a website for Rose Dove Consulting as well. Yes. It's yeah. the same thing. It's all on um, social media. So if you click my name, you'll click on, you'll see all of the um, okay. other things. All right. And I will, I will make sure I put all of those. Yeah links and the I show always tell them it's easier just click my name and then you'll see all awesome. of the stuff and then i'm also on linkedin i always forget about linkedin <laughs> but i'm on there as angela Madsen. awesome well angela i'm so glad i woke up early and i went to your session because I, I gotta tell you i would i was i was wowed it was really powerful, and I'm so glad I got to chat with you today. You, you came on the podcast. I'm very appreciative. Yes, I'm so excited. That makes me feel really good um, because all I want to do is just, I just want to touch people and just try to inspire people to just continue in the work that they're doing and just to know that 
that people have stories and just to take a moment, mm-hmm. take a pause mm-hmm. and listen to those people's stories because they really are going to make your positions or whatever you're doing in the community better because you're just right. listening. Yep. So I'm so excited that you did that. And um, I'm glad that I gave that uh, to you. Um, so that that means a lot to me. It means a All lot. Right. Well, thank you, Angela. Yes, thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. Before I let you go, I want to point you in the direction of some resources that might help you out. We have designed them just for nonprofits and community-based organizations like coalitions. So if you go to the website, communityevaluationsolutions.com slash resources, you're going to find a brand new logic model template, a theory of change template, a coalition assessment, and a mini course designed to help you share your data to tell your story. So there's lots more there. I hope you check it out. I hope it's helpful. One thing you could do to help me out, if you would be so kind, is to leave a review and maybe share an episode. Those likes, those shares, those written reviews really help us get in more ears. And oh my gosh, I totally forgot to remind you that my book with Susan Wolf is out. It's called A Guidebook to Community Consulting, A Collaborative Approach. So lots of resources, lots of things going on here at Community Evaluation Solutions. Hope you have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next time.